What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. A good start for the 49ers here to begin the 2023 season in which they are just one of two teams now that are 3-0 to begin the year. I'm here. It's going to be a different show today, a little bit of a different background, different people. It's just me today, but we're going to be talking some 49ers, going to be breaking down the win from last week, talking about the NFL implications, Brock Purdy's play, and really just the just the, the aura around the 49ers after a strong start this season, which hasn't been reciprocated, you know, in previous uh, in previous years. We've heard we've heard of the one and two starts, the three and four starts, the three and five starts back in 2021, and then the comebacks in the second half. That's not the case here in 2020, uh, in 2023, where the San Francisco 49ers have actually improved, gone three and zero to begin the year, and now have a home game against the Arizona Cardinals in Week Four. But stay tuned. We we got a fun show here today. And let's start it all off with the week three win. You got to talk about the two different efforts that the 49ers had offensively and defensively. You look at the offensive effort. uh, It was an interesting start. I'll be honest. It was an interesting start for the 49ers in this game. Um, Probably not one that many anticipated. And what do I mean by that? When you look at the way the 49ers played at the beginning of the game, he had a field goal to start the game. But then that was a long, long drive. That was a 15-play drive, 64 yards. It was a, a drive where you really had to churn and churn and churn. And they got and they ended up at the New York 11-yard line but could not convert a touchdown opportunity there, had to, kick, uh, had to settle for a field goal. You look after that, New York returns with a field goal of their own. Uh, those two drives ate up two-thirds of the first quarter. And then the 49ers punt and... From there, that's where they really started kicking uh, kicking things off. The 49ers only had four drives in the first half as a result of two very long touchdown drives. They had a 6-minute, 16-second drive, and then a 6-minute, 24-second drive. A little bit of a different game plan. They had to sustain drives for longer periods of time to end up scoring. Um, you know, the field goal drive, like I said, was 6 minutes, 16 seconds. The touchdown drive, 11 plays, 72 yards, 6 minutes, 24 seconds. And then another 11-play touchdown drive, to follow that up, which lasted four minutes and 33 seconds, you look at the overall body of work that the 49ers had, still a strong start. You had 17 points, but it was in a much different capacity than what we saw uh, you know, early on where you might have seen a little more explosive plays that led to uh, you know, first downs, but also chunk plays that, that mitigated the amount of time that you spent per drive. Nonetheless, it was an effective effort for the 49ers to end up scoring 30 points for the third straight week. And... To break it down, let's start with we. Uh, let's start with the first half. This was probably the shakiest first half that Brock Purdy, or shakiest half that Brock Purdy played um, overall uh, thus far, and that's saying something because he's been very, very effective uh, through three weeks of play. He's been pretty darn effective, and I think you have to give credit to the New York Giants for the way that Brock Purdy played at the beginning of that game because the Giants came out blitz heavy. This is something Wing Martindale, their defensive coordinator, is known for, a blitz-heavy oriented approach. And the reason for that, well, they don't just don't have the personnel to match up with the 49ers, so they had to pull out other advantages to try and find a way to bridge the gap in talent on the field. And that was via the blitzes trying to make Brock pretty uncomfortable and daring them or daring him to beat the Giants with their arm. 
And you can see Purdy be a little restless at the beginning. You know, a couple of off-target throws. I think there were four or five on uh, very early in the game. And then you also saw a couple of throws where, uh, you know, or a couple of different plays where you could have made a read that could have pushed the ball a little more downfield, or you could have made a read that could have got it in completion. Instead, ended up taking a sack on one play, something, you know, it was something or another where you just didn't feel on the same page as what he usually, uh, what his standard usually is. And so that's the way that I saw the first half. But you did see as the drives went along, pretty be able to settle down, especially as the 49ers started scoring. You know, it wasn't necessarily the deep pass, the deep pass, the deep pass type of thing, but Purdy was able to settle down. And the 49ers were able to churn out two touchdown drives to end the half after, you know, their 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 lone punt of the first half. End up going up 17 to 6. Then you look at the second half. 49ers only give up one touchdown drive, which was um, uh, the New York Giants' second drive of the game. It was after a short field because they punted out of their own end zone. There was a penalty um, off of that, and so the Giants had a pretty quick touchdown drive overall, and that led to you know uh, that led to some success there for them early on. It seemed like it could have been a ball game because the 49ers punted early, a three and out on their first drive, made it 17 to 12. But after that, the 49ers scored 13 consecutive points to end out the game. They were pretty pretty comfortable to end that one out. And again, when you look at the, the way that the 49ers scored in the second half, what is it? 11-play, 72-yard field goal drive. 8-play, 51-yard touchdown drive. 8-play, 70-yard touchdown drive. And, I mean, the bottom two aren't really like that. But again, it was one of those longer, touch, longer scoring drives where the 49ers were turning out clock, trying to get shorter, shorter gains in order to come out here with the victory. You look at this game, though, Brock Purdy, he finishes 25 of 37, 310 yards passing, which is, I mean, it went for 8.4 yards per uh, yards per pass, and then two touchdowns as opposed to zero interceptions. The zero interceptions thing is important because now this is, uh, you know, Brock Purdy came into this uh, into the season where people are saying he's he could be turnover prone. He could be, you know, due for some more turnover regression on the negative side because last year he had a couple of turnover-worthy plays that should have potentially been picked off or, you know, something like that. Thus far, Brock Purdy has not thrown an interception. He had the fumble in week one, the strip sack. He had two fumbles. One of them he recovered himself. But yet, you know, um, no interceptions thrown through three weeks, which is a significant, significant outlook for the 49ers because the way that this team is operating, the, the way that they're officially being able to execute their offensive game plans, it's going to be hard to beat this 49ers team when they're on their A game. And the number one way teams used to do that is by forcing the 49ers to commit self-inflicted mistakes, poor turnover decisions, poor penalty decisions, things like that. And so if the turnover element is, you know, eliminated, that's a good sign for the 49ers, especially in the way that their quarterback is playing. Now, does this mean turnover-worthy plays weren't there? No, not necessarily. But, you know, it was still a fine performance from Brock Purdy. I think, though, this one was a very unique one. Because Purdy did not look, per, Brock Purdy is generally one of the more efficient but accurate throwers in the middle, in the intermediate range of the field. One of the best in the NFL in the intermediate range of the field with, because he he has a good understanding of pocket presence, a good understanding of anticipation, and the way that he has to throw these type of balls that are very frequent in San Francisco's system. And that's why he's so efficient in the 10 to 19 yard range. Well, in this game, that wasn't the case. 
not necessarily in regards to completion percentage, but in regards to where he put the ball. There were a couple of times where even on completions, he was inaccurate with his ball placement, just not necessarily in the most ideal location. Still sometimes ended up turning out fine, but that was kind of more so the trend early in the game. However, the one thing that I was very impressed with Brock Purdy was how he adjusted to the blitz. The New York Giants never stopped blitzing in this game. They could have mixed up the looks and things like that, but they blitzed on 85% of Brock Purdy's throwback, uh, sorry, dropbacks, and Brock Purdy adjusted well. You know, there were times where you could see he found his hot read. The touchdown throw to Ronnie Bell with a good anticipation was extremely impressive, and there were a couple of throws, you know, where Brock Purdy showcased his poise and ability to hang in the pocket and make some throws, even if they weren't deep throws or something like that. Hang in the pocket, make the necessary throw, and continue the 40 49ers drive offensively. That is something that they are going to continue to try and get out of him in some of these tougher situations. You obviously will not see as big of a blitz rate for the 49ers, but you may see a similar pressure rate to what the New York Giants were able to conjure up against the 49ers sometime later this season with more in coverage, which means it's going to be on the quarterback to try and make plays where plays are needed to be made, get the ball out, and get those playmakers working. But the motto of this game was, get those playmakers working because you saw a ton of screen passes, a ton of shorter throws being thrown. I believe Brock Purdy had 12 of his 25 passes underneath 10 yards in this game. Uh, 12 of his 25 passes, 48% of his passes went under 10 yards. I believe half of that 24, 25% of his passes went uh, at the line of scrimmage. Uh, the 49ers were trying to operate in a different way than they normally do. You did see still some of those intermediate shots, you know, some of the shot plays or some of the crossers, the deep crossers the 49ers are used to. But you also saw a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of stuff at the at the line of scrimmage. Debo Samuel taking a third and 12 screen for a first down. Christian McCaffrey taking some balls for, you know, for good games and things like that. The screen game was a lot more active, synonymous of how the 49ers used to play sometimes under Jimmy Garoppolo, where they, you know, wanted to exploit that advantage. And it worked out. Even in unfavorable situations, it worked out. And that was a good sign for the 49ers and off uh, and their offense. Now, are you going to see a team that blitzes like the, the New York Giants did against San Francisco? No. But this type of game, it's a cool to see because it's it's important to see how the team reacts. Not only Brock Purdy, but the offensive line and things like that. Important to see how they react to a game like this in order for the 49ers you know, to come over some adversity of their own in a unique situation. They did that exactly. They went up 30-12, to 12, and it was a good game. It was a good game. I mean, if you look at it, Brock Purdy obviously is the guy who I'm talking about. Threw for 300 yards for the first time this season. Um I mean, I would probably grade his performance at around a B minus. You know, if you look at the statistics, you might grade it higher. If you look at the game film, you might grade it lower. But I, I think it's a mix, not of statistics and game film, but more so uh, the game film and feel. Because there were a couple of throws or a couple of decisions where he could have made a better decision, thrown the ball to a certain area, or also, you know, um, put the ball on the receiver a little more accurately. However, I'm in, I was impressed by the way he handled the blitz. I was impressed by the way that he kind of grew throughout the game. And that's why the grade goes to a, an above average grade with a B minus. And I think that, you know, it showed that the 49ers can win kind of without their quarterback making elite, elite plays. Now, Brock Purdy 
still continues to impress. That's a good sign. You know, he came into the season. A lot of people had him ranked in the 20s in terms of their quarterback power rankings and things like that. A lot of people have him ranked there, but he came in and he impressed in this game. And that's important for the 49ers because, like I've said, the reason that I picked the 49ers not to win a Super Bowl in 2023 or not view them as the number one contender is because of quarterback play. And I'm really hoping Brock Purdy proves me wrong. And that will continue to happen as, or hopefully happen as he grows week after week. But, you know, it's been an impressive effort for Brock Purdy thus far. Let's talk about running backs, though, because running backs, there was, you know, um, a change this week. Christian McCaffrey, he had taken 100% of the snaps in week two. That wasn't the case in week three. Instead, McCaffrey had gotten um, 18 carries, five receptions, still a good amount of targets, or sorry, not targets, good amount of touches overall. But McCaffrey did split the reps. The 49ers looked to run the football a lot more this week, and that led to, you know, that led to a little bit of a different oriented approach where the 49ers wanted to also involve backup running back Elijah Mitchell into the game. Mitchell had 11 carries in this game, and if you look at the overall snap count, there were 79 total snaps for the 49ers offense. McCaffrey played 51. It's about, you know, two-thirds, about two-thirds, and you want McCaffrey on the field for a significant portion of this game. You definitely do want McCaffrey on the field for a lot, but it's also important to note that in a game like this where the 49ers were comfortably up, pretty much up for two possessions for probably at least half of the game, because they were up two possessions um, starting at uh, at the end of the second half, and then they were up two possessions after they had scored um, two field goals, and that carried on for the final full final quarter. You know, it's it's important to kind of get Christian McCaffrey some rest because the number one thing with Christian McCaffrey is not padding his regular season stats. The number one thing with McCaffrey is ensuring that he is going to be ready for the end of the season and ensuring that he's going to be ready for the playoff run. However, I understand Kyle Shanahan's predicament because it's so clear how valuable Christian McCaffrey is when on the field, not only in the pass catching game, but also, you know, not only in the running game, but also in the pass catching game where he might be even more effective. And it's even sometimes just as a decoy, but the amount of traction, the amount of, you know, attention he requires in the passing game just opens up a lot of different barriers for the 49ers offensively. It makes things easier for Brock Purdy, which is exactly what you want from your quarterback, or for your quarterback, excuse me. But McCaffrey doesn't take a lot of the snaps. Instead, it's, um, uh, or he takes a majority of the snaps, but doesn't take all of them. Instead, Mitchell, he played 28 snaps. Jordan Mason got the last four snaps of the game to kind of close things out with that final drive. Good start, though, for the 49ers. They're running backs. You're starting to see a little bit more of what the split might be. Two-thirds McCaffrey, one-third uh, Mitchell, that kind of thing. And you have a reliable. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Back in Mitchell, who had a couple of nice carries, moved the chains a couple of times as well with his 11 touches. But you want, you want to continue to pound that and potentially even see them play together like they did um, not on the field at the same time, but rotating into the same drive and things like that. You want to see him play like they did um, and see how symbiotic that relationship can be. Receivers-wise, 49ers without Brandon Ayuk. That was actually a very significant um, headline, uh, or a very significant takeaway for me. Now, do the 49ers need Brandon Ayuk to beat the New York Giants? 
No, they clearly proved that. They won 30-12 in this game. It wasn't close, really, for the most part. But the San Francisco 49ers are a much different team offensively without Brandon Ayuk. What do I mean by that? If you look at this game, there were a lot of times where you were hoping receivers would separate a little more or have better route running to potentially get themselves open for Brock Purdy on some of the deeper or intermediate passes. That wasn't the case a lot when it came to different receivers. Jawan Jennings running the routes, Debo Samuel running the routes, Ronnie, Ronnie Bell running the routes, and it's not like they had bad games. Ronnie Bell had a really good touchdown. Debo Samuel was very effective with six catches for 129 yards and a touchdown. I mean, George Kittle had a very big game as well, but the difference without Brandon Ayuk is significant. You need a guy who teams have to respect to push the put in, like you, you know as a deep threat. Brandon Ayuk stretches the ball or stretches the field out so much that the 49ers are able to hound that intermediate portion of the field, understanding you've got a deep guy in Brandon Ayuk who's able to get open consistently. The 49ers are going to need him, and it would be a significant blow if he were to miss significant time at some point this season. That was what was proven. They can win games without Brandon Ayuk, but he is such an integral portion of this offense, and I think this week really opened that up and how impactful he is in this offense, even with Brock Purdy, who many didn't believe would be a good pairing, even with Brock Purdy, this, which, you know, first of all, I don't agree with that, but even with Brock Purdy, it is a very, very effective pairing, and that was shown in week three with the lack of it. But going elsewhere, tight end, George Kittle, it was cool to see him, you know, get in the action a lot. Seven catches, 90 yards, nine targets. Hadn't really seen the breakout game, but without Ayuk, you obviously have George Kittle stepping up a lot more. McCaffrey getting five catches, things like that. You know, cool to see the different, different elements kind of come uh, come together for the 49ers. Tight ends-wise, I thought it was interesting. The 49ers played a lot of two tight end sets in this game. Um, you know, you, you might see them play a little more spread offense in, in, in other games, but they had all four tight ends active for the game and Braden Willis, um, I believe Braden Willis was active, but you also had Charlie Warner, Ross Dwelly and George Kittle, but you had a lot of two tight end sets without Brandon Ayuk, instead of maybe adding in a third receiver in a lot of plays, you had a second tight end trying to mask things, but also running the football a lot more because the 49ers ran the football 39 times totally. Or it was, I, I think it was 38. I don't know if you count the one Sam Donald one, but it was like something like that. They ran the ball over 35 times in this game. And that was, uh, you know, in attribution to the, the way that they lined up. You had two tight ends a good amount. Curious to see, though, how much that carries forward when Brandon Ayuk returns to the field. Offensive line. I want to give my shout out of the week to Spencer Burford. Spencer Burford did not have the best first two weeks. You look back on film, though, in this game, I was impressed by some of the game, uh, some of the blocks in the run game specifically that Burford had. I thought, you know, he was iffy in the over the first two weeks in his overall play. I thought there were some really solid blocks um, on some of those concepts where you see running backs get to the second level that Spencer Burford had in this game, and that that was that was something that was apparent on film. Colton McKivitz. Still a work in progress. I thought he whiffed on a couple of them, um, both blocks in run game and pass protection. But that's a real question mark, I think, still uh, through three weeks. I, I don't know if the 49ers have their answer of how good Colton McKivitz can be this year. But seeming more and more that that's probably just a one, you know, a, a one year option in the 49ers return him to a swing role next year, hopefully drafting a tackle in the first round. Let's move on to the defense. Because the defense, you know, excuse me, the defense was 
swarming as usual. They only allowed 12 points in this game. Um, three scoring drives, obviously. One was a touchdown drive uh, that they couldn't get the two-point conversion. Two field goal drives in the first half. When you look at it, I mean, none of their drives, none of the New York Giants drives went over 50 yards. That's saying something. None of the New York Giants drives went over 50 yards. The first one was a 12-play, 49-yard drive. Went for a long time. Graham Gano got a 44-yard field goal. The next scoring drive went um, eight plays, 37 yards. This was uh, one where Graham Gano nailed a 57-yard field goal. And then the final drive was the touchdown drive. That, you know, final drive of traction. But that was after getting great field position, starting at the San Francisco 37, and then scoring a touchdown on a two-play drive with one additional play due to a penalty. Uh, that was the Lenore pass interference. Two-play drive, 37-yard touchdown drive. Nothing else, really. The The Giants did not move the ball that much in this game. Only had 150 total yards. Despite having possession for a third of the game, 150 total yards, one turnover, not much efficiency at all. When you look at the yards per play, they were only able to get three yard, 3.3 yards per play, ran 32 less plays than the 49ers. It was a very different ball game for the 49ers um, uh, defensively, and that forced the Giants and their defense to be on the field for a significant portion of this game. When you when you think about it, the New York Giants are just not a great match, especially without you know their starting left tackle, their starting left guard, their starting running back. Because without saying Juan Barkley, a guy who carries a lion's share of the target or the the running back, uh, you know, volume, they only carried the ball eleven times, and that was Daniel Jones two times, Matt Breida four times, Gary Brightwell four times, and the backup quarterback Tyra Taylor once. They threw the ball thirty three times. The Giants aren't built for that type of dynamic, especially against, especially without pieces of their offensive line against this defensive line that led to just 4.3 yards per pass for uh, for Daniel Jones a lot of checkdowns and the 49ers they 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 do this thing where they feel what the offense opposing offenses are doing early that's why you might see some scoring drive early on or something like that but after that you kind of get they get a sense and they react very quickly to what the defense or what their opposing offense is doing what do I mean by this? The way the Giants moved the ball and were able to kick a field goal on the opening drive was getting the ball out quick on these shorter concepts and then moving the ball slowly through that. The 49ers caught on, though. They played tighter coverage, and they were able to you know, minimize the amount of yards after the catch in the second half and really you know, at times as well in the first half. They were able to minimize that, and they were able to swarm and get to the ball immediately. That leaves you know, short gain, short gain. It's a tough third down conversion, and that forces you to punt the football or, you know, not get too much on it overall. The 49ers defense also created another turnover. Daniel Jones threw an interception. That was uh, a good one. Talano Hufunga was the one who came down with that one. You know, it was a good game. You you might look at the stat sheet and be like, wow, only two sacks, you know, against a a team like this. But that wasn't – if you watch the game, that it didn't seem like it was – that the 49ers defense wasn't overwhelming. They still had 23 pressures in this game, been averaging around over 25 pressures overall. Uh, Nick Bosa led the team, six pressures, he had the sack. Javon Hargrave, five pressures, he had a sack. Javon Kinlaw, four pressures, and Ark Armstead had three pressures. You know, that was the lion's share of how the 49ers kind of went through this game. But the 49ers were consistently getting to the quarterback, and they also were experimenting with five-man fronts. 
these five-man fronts are very intriguing because Javon Kinlaw and his ascension as a pass rusher could very well make this a dynamic threat for the 49ers where they operate with three defensive linemen and two edge rushers in Drake Jackson or Cleveland Farrell and then Nick Bosa because that puts one-on-one matchups across the board unless the Giants or whoever they play max protect and then that leaves obviously less routes out there for the defense to cover and it's tough for an offensive line to hold up against this group and not have that pocket smothered within seconds. And so it's, it's a, it's a dynamic front. And if the 49ers can continue to see the success they've seen thus far with five man fronts would not be surprised if they implement it for the duration of the season, but defensive line thought they played well linebackers, Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw. I mean, you see them swarm to the ball. Greenlaw flagged for another 15 yard penalty. Not really sure if it was a penalty, but you, you do hope that these type of penalties don't continue to reoccur. Kyle Shanahan said after the game, was not really worried. He said that he thought both of them were too close. Didn't know if that they warranted a penalty or not. And so not sure, but you're hoping some of those, you know, the mental mistakes and the penalties like that continue to disappear and go forward. 49ers elsewhere, I mean... You're now going up against the Arizona Cardinals here in week four. I think that this is a matchup that people probably are thinking about a little more after they just beat the Dallas Cowboys 28 to 16. And the way that I think this game goes, I do think that you definitely have to keep an eye out for it because the Cardinals have fight in them. But I think the 49ers and Giants stylistically are just different offensively. I think the 49ers have a better offense. I mean, we, I spoke with Vish Kumaran, um, way back after week one and the 49ers, we talked about the the comparison between the 49ers and the Cowboys. You could argue the Cowboys have a better defense, arguably maybe the best in the league. Although you might question that after this week, but their offense didn't seem as explosive or you're really as, as, as strong as you might've anticipated in week one. Didn't think they seemed as strong here in week, uh, in week three either. I mean, you look at the run game, they were able to do things in the run game for sure. Uh, 185 yards on 33 carries overall. Tony Pollard, the lead back, he's been pretty, pretty darn good. But if you look at the passing game, you know, uh, Dak Prescott had one interception, one touchdown, 62% of his passes completed, 249 yards, averaged only six yards per play. But overall, I mean, this game, it, it came down to different, different things. The Cowboys outpaced the Cardinals in yards. They outpaced them in time of possession and things like that. It's just what ultimately went down in this game. You look at it, the Cardinals, I mean, they got off to a good start. They had a, you know, they got off to a 9-0 lead, scored on each of their first five drives of the game. The defense just was not able to stop them. Ends up being 21 points by halftime, um, you know, for the Arizona Cardinals. And then while they slowed down considerably after that, what you do is you hold the you hold the Dallas Cowboys to field goals. They kick three field goals in this game and a touchdown. You you hold them to field goals, and that ultimately ends up working in your favor. And so, you know, that's the way that the Dallas Cowboys kind of lost this game. And I do think this is a different outcome in this upcoming week. Um, and I, I, do, I do think this is a different outcome because the 49ers, when you look at it, and I'll get to this comment here from Jack Pierce, believe Purdy is better than people give him credit. He may not be perfect, but he's a major part of this team. And I I do agree. I do agree. I think a lot of people kind of discount the quarterback position for the 49ers because they understand that Jimmy Garoppolo used to play here. And, you know, there, there's been a dynamic around the team that 
the quarterback is, just gets ultimately carried, I think Brock Purdy brings a lot of things to the table. And I said it earlier, right? Even on a even on a shaky game for him, it's still graded as a B minus for me because he was able to do certain things right, work well against the blitz, showcase his poise, um, be smart with the football. He's been a pretty smart decision maker overall. There have been a couple of turnover worthy plays, but he's been a pretty smart decision maker overall. And I think that these are all promising features. It's just ultimately how high his ceiling is and how how quickly he develops to that to where the 49ers could reach a potential Super Bowl and win one ultimately. But going back to week four and the way that the 49ers match up against the Cardinals, I do think their defense is in a good spot. Obviously, Dallas's, uh, Dallas's defense lost Trayvon Diggs, a huge loss for their cornerback room. I think the 49ers, though, match up well defensively. Their defensive line is similar to the Cowboys. It's a strong defensive line, and I think that their run game, they're able to smear in the run game well. Um, the Cardinals were able to run the ball very, very well. That was really the main catalyst of their offensive dominance. They were able to run the football for 222 yards and average 7.4 yards per carry, two touchdowns. I don't think the 49ers are going to allow that bad of a performance in the run game. And when you look at their offense, I think the 49ers, you know, find different ways to, to kind of move the football that you have the chunk plays and you're hoping that they continue at a higher capacity next week. But the Cardinals are a team that you don't want to sleep on. Cardinals are definitely a team that you got to keep your eye on. And that's a team we're going to be talking about throughout the rest of this week because the Arizona Cardinals, they're, you know, they, they could be a little, they, they got a little more fight in them than people probably imagined coming into the season with the team that they have, the roster that they're construing, Josh Dobbs, a quarterback and things like that. But this is going to be a fun breakdown this week. That's going to do it though here for me. Just wanted to give you guys my thoughts on week three, kind of go into it week four and talk things through. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe. Go over, check out our work on 49ers Web Zone. Doing a lot of good stuff there. Be sure to drop a like and comment what you guys want to see next. Thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.